Hey, welcome back to another episode of Open Shutter, a Monday edition. And uh, thanks everyone for watching, listening, YouTube, Spotify, Google, wherever this, wherever this thing is. Uh, thanks for joining in on this conversation. Have the pleasure of welcoming uh, first-time guest Aiden Samuels to the program. He is a Toronto photographer, and he's got his hand in all kinds of things. He just got back from New York, so I'm sure we'll talk about that. But um, yeah, big thanks to Aiden for, for, for jumping on. I'll put all of his links in the description of this video, so go check him out if you're in the Toronto area. I'm sure he'll be... Happy to help you with regards to whatever your needs are with photography. So, Aiden, thanks again, man. And uh, don't don't have too much of your time, but welcome back from New York. Hey, thank you so much, and thanks, Paul, for having me. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. So, I know I was just kind of doing a little bit of research for the show, and I see you got your hands in. You're doing a book. You're you're doing. You got your portfolio website out. Um, you know what is it? What is it that you love the most to do? I guess. Oh, okay. Well, within photography, portraits. That that's my main focus. I like taking pictures of people. I find they make the most engaging images. I love being able to connect with people on that level. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Pictures of people. That's where my heart is. Awesome. And like, what's your like? Did like did you go to school for this, or just kind of like like self taught? <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, um, self-taught. I started off, well, started off the school for engineering. That's a whole separate story. Oh, wow. uh, left at the beginning of the pandemic when all the classes switched to online and I'm, photography had always been a passion. And I was like, okay, I've, I've got some time on my hands right now. Let me see if I can really give, give this a shot. So yeah. between that and graphic design, which, you know, fills in more of the day-to-day -day clients. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been making it work for the last little bit. Cool, man. So you left, so you left engineering during COVID. Yes. Yes. Wow. So was that like a hard decision to like do, or was that it was always on your on your mind to kind of like make like make make a change? Yeah. No. Absolutely. I was I was doing okay in the program. Like I had decent grades, but I, I wasn't enjoying the the day. Well, it wasn't the program. I wasn't enjoying the the potential job prospects at the end. That was the thing because engineering you you are pretty much guaranteed a decent paying job, yeah. but the markets become so oversaturated that. The example I tell people is that they kept bringing in these uh, speakers that were going to be motivational speakers that were going to be, it was going to be like, hey, I'm Laura, I'm an astronaut, and I went to TMU Engineering, just like you. I said it was, hey, I'm Larry, I work at the factory, I hold a clipboard. Yeah. And it was, I think, it, yeah, it had the opposite effect of what they were hoping, I'll put it that way. Interesting. And what type of engineering was it? What was it? Um, I was only ever in first year, so that was undeclared, but oh, um, my plan was mechanical mechatronics. Something I know nothing about. I did, I did all the lead up, I did all the high school stuff, I did all the, the prep, and then, yeah. Yeah, no, 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 I'm here in visual arts. So, wow. uh, yeah. so you got to tell your family and everything, or like what? Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Fortunately, I, I had a lot of support there. Graphic design is the family business, so it, it's yeah. sort of the opposite of, of a lot of people's stories. I was fortunate to have a lot of, a lot of support for, uh, for doing what wow. I do now. So your parents are in graphic design. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah, I always like. It's always like I find it fascinating because I think people always want to make a change at whatever stage of life, and it's always like, well, you got to like tell your family. You always kind of wonder like how they're going to react. And it's great that you had a, you had a, you had a supportive um, environment, which is so just so important. I think I genuinely did. I I, I can't be thankful enough for that. Yeah, because like engineering and like photography, they're like polar opposites on the spectrum. <laughs> Exactly. Like my plan was always, okay, get the engineering degree, do the program, get a job, um, yeah. and then, you know, do photography on the side. Because yeah. that, that's one thing I find between photography and graphic design. I'm very glad that I have both. And I'm very glad that photography isn't, it, it, I'd say photography is probably 80-20 graphic design to photography in terms of actual work hours. And I'm very glad for that because 
photography is the real passion. And I feel like if that was 80% of the time, 80% of the income, that yeah. could get burnt out a lot easier. Instead, yeah. I have something vaguely similar, another visual art form that I can integrate photography into. I, yeah. I do get to intersect the two quite often. But yeah. especially because I can, uh, you know, spend work time on work and passion photography time when I'm, when I'm working on projects, all I can work on that on my own. And every once in a while when I can get a... Uh, you know, dedicated photography client in the same space as what I'm doing yeah. for uh, for the the passion work that that that's the best overlap. Cool, interesting, man. So, like, how long did it take you, like, during like during COVID? Like, how long did it take you to kind of get like get up get up and running with regards to you know, like skills and clients and all that? So, I had actually already started in uh, in that previously through high school. I had started building a client base. I was doing uh, portrait headshot shoots probably in the 10th and 11th grade. I was just, I wore, uh, I wore fake glasses and I was just very cagey about how old I was or not. I feel like oh, I could man. pull off, uh, pull off acting a little bit older to, uh, to, to yeah, work with that. Yeah. Cause like, I don't know, photography in general, I think it went back to, I don't know, my like first iPod touch with a camera going around, taking pictures of little leaves on the ground, trying to start an Instagram account out of that. But yeah, no. So I already had a bit of an established client base. I had already done that initial marketing push that has sort of netted me everyone else through word of mouth. Mm -hmm. So obviously there wasn't much in the dead of the pandemic, but right. over the next few years, I was fortunate enough to get a number of clients that really, exactly. Yeah. Like brand, like brand, like brand new clients. Oh yeah. Like a decent, a decent range. I've worked yeah. with a lot of brands. I've worked with a lot of individuals. My favorites, my favorite to work with are other artists. So I've gotten to do a lot of work for local musicians' album covers and stuff like that. Album covers are my, my favorite all around, especially if I can integrate portraiture into that because you get a ton of creative freedom, a ton of creative expression, and you get to, to work on that with another creative person. I've done headshots for illustrators. I've done headshots for other artists, things, things along those lines. I've done a little bit of corporate stuff. I did some work with Nissan a few years ago. Yeah. So it's it's solid. <laughs> oh yeah, it's decent. It's uh, today, today I, I just got home, got all this set up. I came yeah, back yeah. doing a product photo shoot yeah. for a company that's going to be selling some uh, some new to the market plant accessories uh, for grand plants at home. I'll leave it at that. I don't know how secretive yeah, they're being, sure. but sure. So I guess for the for the people watching, listening, like how would like what's your advice in terms of like pitching clients? Like what are some like what are some mistakes to avoid? Like kind of from your own personal experience, like how would you, like how would you pitch someone in like a, like a general sense? Yeah, absolutely. So my main focus with clients is I don't focus too much on the administrative side. I, obviously I have to have everything laid out. I have my contracts, I have my invoices, yeah. but I my, my real goal, if the client's willing to work with me on it, is to just get them the images that they're looking for in the way that they are. For example, I don't offer a set limit on number of images on the number of images i give in a photo shoot i will take okay. as many as i can i'll edit as many as fit for the project and i'll give that back so that's one of those things i offer in terms of of recommendations for for um, sort of you see you're saying pitfalls and stuff like that uh, the main thing yeah yeah the main thing i can recommend that i've seen new photographers do is two things one is I hate to say it, but you do have to make sure you're ready to work with clients before you start. Uh, client management and your skill at a craft are two completely separate skills. Mm -hmm. So it, it's in, you can be the best photographer out there and not know how to manage the clients, and that can be very difficult. And I was fortunate to have the background in client management from graphic design work going back into, yeah. into high school. 
So I was able to translate that quite well. So that's one of the things I can recommend is just figure out uh, what you're going to offer, figure out, the, figure out your own boundaries. Don't, don't, you know, be responding to people outside of work hours, unless that's what you want to be there right. doing things like that. Obviously that's not a hard and fast rule, but you know, little things like that, that add up over time. So in terms of, of pitfalls, I would also say, don't fill yourself short. I see a lot of photographers right when they're starting offering, it's, it's, very cheap packages and that's not the end of the world it's great to build that experience and yeah. contrary to what some people say i don't think it's the worst to do work for free it's, that just has to be your call and not the client's call yeah i was going to ask you about that but working for free yes like i'm in the mindset of like i'm in the mindset of like it's not really free because you are getting the experience like you talk about like client management skills if you've never worked with a client before you have no idea like what's going to happen because each client is different so for me, if you're able to like, you know, work for free in quotation marks, it's not really because you're getting that experience, right? It's not like, I don't know. I tell people all the time, like, just pretend you have the job. If you want to, if you want to work for Nissan, start taking pictures of Nissan. Maybe go to a car dealership and say, hey, I'm looking to like build a portfolio. You'd like, you just never know what's going to happen. And you never mm -hmm. know who's like watching or listening, you know? So yeah, we're like working for free. It is it is a tricky it is a tricky line. But if you, I think if you, I think if you, you know, use it to your advantage, I think it'd be quite to your advantage because people like people that take initiative. Exactly, you, you know can work. I would say work for free for experience. Don't work for free for exposure. That, yeah, that's that's how right. I would put it. Can say I can't pay you, but but I'll give you exposure. And yeah, that's the wrong way to look at it, right? And like I said, again, make sure you're within your means to be doing that. Make sure within anything yeah. else. But it's it's a common phrase you hear is I never work for free, never do that. And I don't I don't think that that's the worst. You just have to do that in moderation and what feels yeah. right for yourself. Yeah, I think so. I think I think I think because how else like how else will you get that experience? Right? Because like especially in Toronto, where it's such a it's such a saturated market, you need to like set you need to separate yourself somehow if you're going to yeah. go into like an interview or to like a client call and. Well, what can you do? Like, I, I always tell people, like, show versus tell. Like, don't tell people what you do. Just show them. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, here, this is what I do. <laughs> and they'll get it. Instead of you trying to explain it. And they're trying to, like, think about it in their head. And they probably get it wrong, right? So you definitely need something to show someone. Absolutely. And and you touched on their carb, like, I don't think you use these words, but in carving out a niche, right? Yeah. That's also yeah. another really specific thing you can yeah. do. And that niche can exist both in the work that you offer and in that client management side, yeah. like I take a lot of pride in being very friendly and agreeable with, with clients. So that's, I think sure. that's inherent to my personality, dare I say so. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, I feel like that friendliness comes across with people. I, I genuinely want to help people with yeah. their cameras, with their work, everything else like that. So I'm a, that, that's one side of things. And on the, you know, on the niche side, I do a lot of stuff with film, a lot of, a lot of film cameras can, uh, can pull from. So yeah, like you even hearing me talk about it. I'll spend 10% of the time talking about the, the technical niche that I can offer and the rest about the, uh, you know, I guess customer service, I suppose I would put it. Yeah. I think, I think, cause these are all like different like skill sets, right. In terms of like, first of all, you need the skill set of photography, then you need a skill set in client management, then you need a skill set in like marketing and, you know, brands and all that. Like these are all like, these are all like full-time jobs for people and we're come. Oh, if you can still hear me, I think you've frozen there. I have a response to this. If, if we can get this connected back up. And we're back. Did oh, I lose we're you? back. Did I lose you? Yeah, yeah. yeah we we lost we, we lost you in a moment there. Yeah, um, just I was just saying that it's not we're like we're uh, combining all these skill sets, you know, in terms of like photography and like business and marketing and client management, customer service. These are all like 
full-time jobs for people. So yeah, and, and not easy. 50, 30, 50 years ago, these were all completely separate jobs. You go to exactly. an agency and there's a person at the front desk who talks to a person who does the invoices, who sends out the photographer. You have someone else who loads your film for you back then, right? Like it, it's... Yeah. It's become very centralized with the internet. You don't just have to be a photographer. You have to be a social media manager and, and 18 other things to, uh, to really put everything together. And you hear a lot of people saying that. So it's uh, yeah, not, not an original thought from me, but uh, yeah. one worth pointing well, out. Well, that's just the power. That's just the power of like, the times we live in where you, know, you don't really need to ask permission. You just kind of like do it and kind of put, and put, and put yourself out there and you just see what happens, right? Because yeah. you know, like I said, people like people, First of all, people buy from people too, right? If you come across genuine and someone can trust you, they'll buy from you, right? You could be like the best photographer in the world, but if someone can't trust you, they won't buy. So as long as people trust you, then you're in a much you're in a much better place. So I always find, don't try to like be fake with clients because they'll see right through that. And right. if not right then, eventually they will. And then they're going to regret hiring that person, right? So yeah, you got to be real. But yeah, no, it's good, man. It's good. Like it's, I mean, these, I mean, like, like these, like these are really good tips. I was asking you offline about like, I know that you're into films. So like, how would someone that's steadfast into like the DSLR mirrorless world, world what, like, what, how would you pitch them to like, not convert to film, but at least try film? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll be the first to admit it's not better. It's just different. Right. Same as vinyl or anything else in that space. I can't say it's going to be better quality than a digital image, not these days anymore. It will maybe once was. It's different. The main thing that I find for myself is that it slows me down and forces me to get, you know, 10 good shots per roll as opposed to 10 good shots in a memory card of 20,000 images. So, or in a day shoot of 20,000 images. So on the whole, I think the main pitch I can give is a psychological component for myself. I like working with the same analog equipment. I like working with the mechanical gear. I really enjoy the process. But moreover, it's it's about the fact that it, it slows you down. It makes you really consider every shot. And even the fact that there's a delay before getting your images back, that yeah. makes things a bit more special. And yes, you could not look at your memory card. You could fold your screen in and yeah, not look at your memory card for a week. And exactly. But it, it's all these things together. It's not any one of the factors that film cameras offer. It's not just the mechanical camera. You can get digital cameras that have the same aesthetic. It's yeah. not just the delay in your images or a limited number. You could create that with with older technology or by physically limiting your memory card. It, it, it's all of the things brought together. I do find there. Oh, yeah, sir. No, it's cool. It's good. Cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. I do find that there is one thing that film genuinely does still do better than digital, which is high dynamic range. Yeah. What is that for people, for people that don't? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. The dynamic range of any given scene is the range between the darkest and lightest tone in your image. Right. So typically, your human eye is going to see a much wider range of tones than any camera can capture. Uh, you know, s some top-end cinema stuff is starting to get to that point these days. But on the whole, if you have a nice look over a landscape, the backside of a tree that's facing towards you, away from the sun, that shadow, you're going to still be able to make out detail on that with your eyes, the same as you're going to be able to make out, make out detail on the leaves in the distance. A camera, especially an older, early digital camera, may see the back of that tree is pure black and the sky is pure white. Right. And, you know, as the tech has come around, cameras are starting to get higher and higher dynamic range in their base images. Moreover, though, there's a lot of advancements in multi-shot images and in a lot of other things and tricks to get 
a lot more dynamic range into one final image. Uh, pretty much any smartphone camera is going to be having that built in these days. Part of what I think it's part of what a lot of people see as the uh, the smartphone look to photography is right. that high dynamic range look. But yeah. I have yet to see a digital camera outside of maybe what Ari is doing with their cinema cameras yeah. that can match the level of dynamic range that negative film has, print film has, without starting to look very artificial. It's something that I do not fully understand. I don't know how it can really pull those tones together, but it's one thing I like. You take, you know, it's a little cliche, but it works. You take your, your Porto 400, expose it at plus one stop, and yeah. you're getting detail in the shadows, detail in the highlights, and it all looks very natural in that final image. Uh, the tone curve that's built in is something that is very difficult, if not impossible, to replicate in editing. Right. So that is one technical that's, side of that's that good I pitch, really appreciate. Yeah, that's a good pitch. And what are you like? What are you sh sh shooting with now in terms of in terms of your gear for film? <laughs> well, people ask me that question, and my answer is. I have a sort of rotating collection of film cameras. Okay. The mainstays are a Hasselblad 500 series. Um, I have a Leica M7. I'm enjoying that. I'll, I'll probably sell yeah. it at some point. I'm not particularly attached to the Leica system. Um, Nikon F3 is to this day one of my favorite 35mm cameras. It's not the most expensive you can get, but it's probably the best value for money in any film camera out there. And have a dozen other things. I've really been enjoying the Pentax 7 for the last year or so. I went to the yeah, sir. How do you how do you decide like well, like what like what to shoot with? Yeah, to me that's part of the fun, right? <laughs> again, no one needs this many cameras. And again, I'm a photographer first. Any collecting is is second. Although I think I've always enjoyed that growing up. It, it gave me an odd sense of joy to have like every toy in a particular set of things. I was fortunate enough to often be able to have that. I do recognize that that's, that's, that's a fortunate position to be in. But yeah, I think it gives it gives me a lot of joy to be able to like get up look at the camera shelf, decide what I'm taking with me for that day and go based on very niche differences. Uh, you know, Rolly Flex with a planar lens and a Hasselblad with the same planar lens are not going to give you different images, but it's about the experience. It's about stuff like right. that. So for uh, for New York, I went with just the Rolly Flex 2.8. And the reason I chose that is because of the visual aesthetic of that camera, not because of my, I don't want to, that's not, not because I'm going to feel all cool walking around with a twin lens reflex but more because it catches people's attention. And my real goal on that trip was to get street portraits, was to sort of meet new people, have those conversations. And it really worked for that. Walking around Toronto alone, if I'm walking around doing street photography with a role in the Rolling Flex, I would say five to six out of those 12 frames are going to be people saying, oh, hey, cool camera, can you take my picture? So I get a lot of pictures I wouldn't otherwise get the opportunity to take with that camera. And uh, yeah, that worked quite well in New York. I still got everything just barely scanned into Lightroom. I have I have yeah. not fully edited, so I don't have much I can show at this time. But over the next yeah. little bit, you'll probably start seeing that on my social media and website. That's cool, man. So it's almost it's I mean, like the camera is almost like an icebreaker too with people. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll, I'll have people coming up to me all ages, all ranges. Uh, often older people saying like, "Hey, my dad had one of those back in the day. I haven't seen yeah. one of those in fifty years." Um, I, I had like I think two or three odd cases of of that alone. So um, yeah, it's it's. Again, that connection with people is my favorite part of portraiture, both in client work and in street portraits, uh, and just in life. I like getting to connect with people. And that's the great thing about, about, about photography is that you're able to like freeze a moment, right? And you're able to like have a moment with someone. Exactly, exactly. And a film cameras do serve as a really great icebreaker, as a really great yeah. tool to, uh, to assist in that. Again, so the outside perception of the camera you're using, it doesn't affect your images, 
but it does affect the types of images you get. Right. Okay. Okay. So for someone that so for someone that's just starting to film, what's like what's a camera that you would recommend to someone just starting out? Absolutely. Okay. I would definitely say if you have the technical skill and you're comfortable with it, go for a manual SLR. Still go for something with an automatic mode. Go for something with an aperture priority mode. Right. Even if you're not using it, you're using the manual settings. It's worth it to not have a fully mechanical camera and have one of those settings be automatic when you're getting started. Yeah. My best recommendation is a Nikon FE. They are under $200 Canadian with a lens these days. You have access to the full Nikon lens system, so you're going to get some of the best glass ever made for film cameras. You're getting the bright viewfinder that they built off the best knowledge of the F2 and before, after the F3, whatever. Those off the best knowledge of the uh, F-series cameras before it. And it's just probably one of the most pleasant beginner-friendly cameras I've ever used. Interesting. A lot of people want to go for the Canon 81 because it's the classic camera. People associate Canon with photography. And I'm pretty sure if you Google image for film camera, the first entire page is going to be Canon 81s. That said, they have the, an electromagnet release that fails very often. They, um, the FD lens system is okay. Some, some standout gems, but just on the whole. And most importantly, they are shutter priority and mm -hmm. not aperture priority, which uh, for beginners can be, uh, usually people are going to be wanting to control their aperture for creative effect yeah. before they're wanting, you're going to be wanting to lock in their shutter speed. Interesting. Interesting. And where, where, and where can people buy these cameras? I, I guess in the Toronto area, is there a yes. good place to buy them? In the Toronto area, Kijiji, Facebook Marketplace, that's always my best recommendation. I personally do buy and sell a lot of cameras. Uh, on my website, a little web store tacked onto the side there. I know that's where you're going at. Uh, I, I, do that, I do that as a hobby and as networking. I don't do that as a business. I sell stuff right. mostly at cost to myself, or at, at least at cost to, to fund the next camera that comes in. Like I said, I genuinely enjoy making those connections. I like being able to say, hey, yeah, I've got a point and shoot for you if you're looking. So yeah, no, unlike I guess some other resellers, I don't... It's not a business. It, it, it's it's mm -hmm. for the connection, for the fun. But I yeah. do have a decent range of cameras. I do a lot of the tape. I do a lot of tabling at camera shows. Okay. Next one of those is some point in November. I gotta gotta figure that one out. But uh, but yeah, yeah. Do you also de develop your your film too, or, you, or, or or take your film in? Yeah. So I have and can do home development for black and white. I just, I enjoy it. I actually work at one of the labs in Toronto. I work at Aiden Camera. Coincidence on the name. So some of you watching may know me from that. I find I do find a lot of people recognize me from the camera store. I'll be out in the street taking pictures. Okay, yeah. like, I'd be like, "Hey, I totally know your name." Yeah, funny. but uh, yeah. So because I'm I'm always at the lab and in close proximity, uh, and I'm mostly yeah. shooting C41 film, where I am looking to get the most quality and dynamic range out of it. So I do typically uh, bring all my film into the lab there. Okay. All right, so go there then, basically. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a big fan of Aiden. Obviously, I'm a little biased, but I'm a big fan of Aiden cool. Camera's development. A one-hour service on C41 film, seven bucks yeah. for dev only. I think we're the only place that offers one hour in Toronto, as far as I know. Okay. And uh, yeah, decent pricing, a one-hour service. Oh, cool, man. Yeah, I mean, you were just saying about like not having like the instant gratification of having the photo on the back of the screen. You have to wait, so... I'm sure yeah. you see people walk into the store and they're so excited to get their film, right? Because yeah. and it's always fun. Right? To, the yeah. of, exactly. Yeah. It's also always fun to tell people who weren't expecting it that they're going to get it today. Like, um, yeah, it's always right. like, like I was a customer there before I worked there and yeah. I drop off my film. I go get a coffee, come back and it'll be done already. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely, it's definitely an experience, right? Because it's like that waiting game that we're just so not used to anymore that. Yeah. 
it's kind of cool, you know? And then when you actually get photos and you see that you've nailed a few shots, it's a really good feeling. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, like the, the main reason I'm, I'm working there, I, I've started doing it as in high school as a part-time job and I've kept it up a couple days a week ever since just because I genuinely enjoy being there. I like having those conversations with the customers and, and building on what you were saying. I like getting to talk to people when they're looking through their printer, looking through their stands on their phone. I'm yeah. so excited over that. It's something yeah. we can really bond over. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a great way just to keep learning too because you're always, in, like, you're always in that environment. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's uh, It keeps you on top of the new digital stuff just so you're informed. Right. But, uh, you know, it keeps you really involved in the community. Like, I yeah. would say a, a, a very big chunk of my networking connections has come has come through that job over time. So I, I really I really do genuinely enjoy being there. Interesting, man. And just speaking about that, I was going to uh, I was gonna plug your book here and then put on the screen. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, talk about that real quick. If you're like, how, so how, how, like, how did this come about, I guess? Okay, yes. So this was a project I'd always wanted to do. I'd always wanted to put together a photo book. That was my one of my little life bucket list things. And I never really had a solid idea on what. It felt too pretentious to put my work alone into a book. Like I'm quite pleased with it. I would love to have people having copies of my work in the book form, but I never had any particular project or series that fit that wouldn't just be for me to have yeah. that book. I wanted it to be something that people would enjoy not just for the fact that it's it's some pretty pictures in the book and through all of the buy and sell i was doing i was i noticed i'm taking all these really high quality pictures of cameras and i'm doing a ton of research and writing up descriptions so i can give informed answers about how all the features work um, and so for every camera i buy and sell i'd be taking some really high quality pictures in a nice backdrop and I would be writing up a description, not just on the item and its condition, but how it was to use it. Recommendations for different skill levels. And I think that was what gave me a lot of early success on Kijiji Facebook Marketplace, where I was doing that advertising before I had my web store, was just, I, I feel like the, I, once again, my, my thing of trying to, to connect to people, I think that really showed through, was that, hey, this is not just someone selling a camera, this is someone actually trying to, trying to help you use it. And eventually, I had, I had the realization that I wanted to make a book. I had a lot of this information already put together. So I was able to really format that into, into a format. So the book itself is a coffee table book of 30 odd historical cameras. Some okay. are ones that are sentimental to me. Some are ones that are generally historically significant. Others are ones that are just fun and weird. Like you've got the, the Minox camera in there, got the Canon Pelix in there. Some just unusual fun cameras. The whole thing is sorted into three chapters, which are the classics, the good stuff, and let's get weird, which are, yeah, yeah. pretty self-explanatory by those titles. But yeah, it wasn't just all recycled content or anything from the Kijiji postings. It was mostly new written stuff for the book project. It took me the best part of a year to to sort of pull everything together. And I was fortunate enough to have a connection through uh, Fujifilm printing. So I was able to get them to, uh, to print sort of a hardcover book to exactly my specification, which was wonderful. Nice. It looks good. Thank you. Thank you. I did a limited print run. I've got a small handful left i think i think at this point it would be under 20 left but yeah no it was a fun thing it was never once again like the cameras it was never a big marketing push to say hey come here buy my book it was i'd have a great conversation with someone i yeah. would i would throw it in at the end and you know sometimes you get uh, you get someone to to be able to take a piece of that conversation home with them so it's a lot of fun it was a lot of fun just to be able to 
download a lot of knowledge into a physical object as well. Yeah. I, I got a lot of this stuff kicking around my head. I, I shouldn't know exactly what year the Canon A1 was released and everything through then. But, well, maybe, I don't know. But it was fun to get it out of my head and into a physical object. Right. And, yeah. And it feels good too. There's something that you made, right? Like it's. Yeah, no, exactly. It was amazing to be able to get to bring something like that to life. Yeah, no doubt, man. You planning to write like another one, you think, eventually? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I was originally playing with the idea of getting another another camera book out there because this doesn't have everything. This has just had right. sort of ones I got to have myself, right? So you know, I was missing the Mamiya Seven. This is before I got into Rolleiflex stuff like that. That said, I a project I, I have no idea if or when this is going to come together. But on the idea of sort of downloading knowledge into a physical object, yeah, um, I'm currently working on a book that is all tips and tricks for film photography okay. so okay. the idea is is every sort of intermediate niche technique from how reciprocity failure works to how to switch a 35 millimeter roll in the middle to how film actually chemically works to a decent range of samples of different film stocks the idea to have all of that as a little soft cover handbook that you could throw in a bag mm. and have all these things in one place interest that you can carry with you like so, uh, that, that's something that's coming together <laughs> also like close notes for like for, for like film photography exactly exactly interesting man that could be pretty big um, i i can hope so i can hope so my goal as well is to get this one at a cheaper sale cost um the going with the green book the first one it, it cost me 63 dollars and 11 cents canadian per book to produce and i just sold it rounded up to 70 yeah. um so i did break even luckily in the end but yeah i definitely want to be able to, to give people something that's that's you know a little bit more uh, economical as well yeah no that's cool i mean it's very useful because i think especially when people are starting out to film it'd be pretty pretty intimidating so if someone can have like a little close notes with them exactly exactly that's cool man that's that's awesome. I like that. I like that idea. People yeah, helping people, which I like. Yeah, and again, it's, it's it's what I like to do. I like getting to talk to people on cameras. I like getting to help yeah. people with stuff. And if I can bring those two together into one thing, I would love to be able to do that. Yeah, like people people shouldn't shouldn't hold on to their knowledge thinking that it's going to ruin them. People should like share their knowledge because that's how we all learn, you know. Exactly. So uh, we're all we're all learning all the time. I mean, you're never really done, really. 100 percent. Hey, when you think you're done, it's like, oh well, you better think again, right? So yeah, it just keeps going, right? So I mean, like, well, like, I mean, what are some things that you want to learn? I guess like I think this year, next year. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Yeah. I really want to start doing some more, some more. Let's see, how would I phrase it? Well, I would say some more meaningful, some more artistically meaningful photography. Um, I do a lot of stuff that I'm very satisfied with how it looks and the how it how it feels to look at. But I've never really delved into real emotional storytelling or real artistic narratives. And I don't know, I feel part of that is, is you know, a lot of that has to come from within. I feel like I've never really had that big of a well to, to draw from. I've, I've you know, I, I've been fortunate not to have many crazy struggles in life or things along those lines to, to pull from. And no, not that that's what you need to pull from. But so, yeah, that that's my main goal. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but I want to create a project that has a greater meaning than the visual of the images included. Okay. So more of like people's story. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
I, I will say if if I, I'm sure many people say the same thing, but if if Humans of New York hadn't been done and done and yeah. done and done already, yeah. I'd probably be doing something along those lines. Um, yeah. I have I have some ideas in the same space, although hopefully yeah. trying to carve out a, a niche within that. And would you want to like make a book out of that too? You think? Yeah, yeah. photo books to me have yeah. always represented the end goal of where my work ends up, which I know doesn't make the most sense. You know, a physical book is not the best way to just distribute your work these days. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I use social media. I enjoy it. I use it for social purposes. I, if you see my Instagram, I'm posting behind the scenes stuff. I'm posting a couple of my favorite shots, but I'm not posting photography with the intention of getting it out there. Right. Um, my website's where I put my actual work, the stuff I'm proud of, the stuff I want to share. But the Instagram itself is is half-life stuff, half behind the scenes, all through the lens of photography, because I think everywhere I go, I'm going to have a camera. All the images I take are probably going to be uh, of decent quality for that purpose. Yeah. But so, yeah, I, I really want to find different and unique ways of spreading the work and getting it out there. And for yeah. whatever reason, to me, physical books have always represented that nth degree. To some people, it's getting their work on traditional media, like TV and radio, or to some people, it is social media fame to have those millions of followers. To me, for whatever reason, it's always been having your work inside of a physical object, whether that's yeah. a print that you're selling or a book that you can produce. Yeah. I agree. I think there's definitely something to be said about having your work in a physical form. Like it just, it feels, it feels different. Yeah, you know? no, absolutely. And, and feels- again, that's not for everyone. And it's not even for me for every project, but yeah, that is where I'm the happiest having my work. Interesting, man. Yeah, I think honestly, yeah, I think uh, I said this the other day, but I think a lot of people just want to be like seen and heard, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter like what the platform is, but I mean, I think a lot of people just want to be seen and heard. So I just had someone on last week on the show, or basically he went into, he was kind of he was kind of focusing on on people that had like disabilities and kind of going through like their struggles. So I mean, he said it was pretty pretty eye opening. So. A lot of, lot of, lot of stories out there. A lot of them. Um, I think things. I think sometimes I get stuck. I get stuck in my own head, and you don't realize like what other people are going through. So if you're able right, to kind absolutely. of shed a, like shed a light on that kind of kind of kind of stuff, I think there's a lot of power to mm-hmm. that. You know. Yeah. Um, but this is your Instagram here. Oh yeah. You, know, yes, yes, it is. Thing, you gotta tell me about the CBC story thing. Oh, that's fun. Okay, that was uh, that was a graphic design project at the beginning yeah. of this year. So right around the time that the violence on the TTC was getting really bad, I wasn't sure what I could do about it as an individual, but I had this idea, which was, hey, they've got all these posters and the TTC, the the, the main thing was their response. Their response publicly was never, oh, we're going to fix these problems. We're going to do this to solve the violence or even just we acknowledge the violence. We don't know what to do about it yet, but we're working on it. Mm -hmm. It was always, oh, just be more safe. Or yeah. oh, it's fine. It was it was never a it was never a very satisfying answer. So, at the peak of I think the snap frustration that everyone in Toronto was feeling, mm-hmm. I had this idea that I could make print, frame, and 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 uh, distribute. I will say some TTC posters that looked very legitimate. Yeah, that say, that give genuinely helpful but unhelpfully sarcastic messages on the violence in the system. Yeah. 
So, you know, a, a poster that says, keep your distance set over the image of a picture where there's no space yeah. to do so with text that says, you are responsible for your own safety on the TTC, because clearly we're not, is, is basically the, the very fine print at the bottom for yeah. people who would look very close at the posters. The, the closer you read, the, the, then you start realizing that it's not real. I didn't want to genuinely trick anyone, but um, yeah. It looks, so, like, it looks really real though, yeah. If you weren't, it looks real. I, I originally intended to do this completely anonymously. I put together the posters. I enlisted the help of a friend so that we could sneak into Young Station and get both sides of the station up at the same time. We dressed as uh, as construction workers with high-vis vests because, right. ironically, you are completely invisible in a large city if you have a high-vis vest and clipboard. Yeah. Okay. A side effect of an overrun system is that they don't, they can't stop people from putting up posters either. We use some double-side tape as to not really harm the tiles or anything. But yeah, we stuck up the posters, and uh, Vlogzio was the first yeah. to pick it up. That's the little screenshot of it there. Yeah. Um originally like said i intended to be anonymous about it anyway the cbc yeah yeah so cbc reached out i because my goal was to sort of drum up conversation about the, the whole issue when the you know original article started to die down i made an ask reddit thread on the ask toronto subreddit saying like hey i'm the one who put up the posters with, with an anonymous second account um and and saying hey like ask me about them and through that, I had some people from CBC reach out. So originally, they were saying that I could be anonymous for the interview. Although when I sort of got more into it, they were saying, hey, we only offer anonymity in genuine, serious cases. Like it is a zero or 100. Right. So at that point, I made the call that, you know what? I think it's more important to get the message further. Because the anonymity, it was to, you know, maybe not be fined by the TTC for this, right. but moreover, it was just because it's, it's a bigger issue than myself. I didn't need to need, I didn't need my name on it. I just wanted to have this thing done and have the, sorry, my light just fell off there. I'm going to put that back up. So, so did you get in trouble with, with the, with the TTC? Uh, no, ultimately in the end, I never had any contact directly from the TTC myself. I, I got to read their responses to the article. They, they had interviewed some individuals in the TTC as a part of the original blog to article where uh, they had said it was in poor taste. I think it's in poorer taste to let people in your system come into harm's way, but yeah. I'll leave that be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyways, C CBC had reached out. I was able to give that interview, and shortly after that, uh, Global News reached out as well. Mm -hmm. um, an independent documentary film crew reached out, and that's hopefully coming out later this year, early yeah. next year. Yeah. So there, there's a, it was it was my little my little 15 minutes of fame in Toronto. It was it was it was a fun time. I didn't need it to be about myself, but it was it was, it was a fun it was a fun fun two weeks there. Well, I mean, it's you know, I mean, it did get pretty nuts on on the TV yeah. for a while. Like every it was happening every day. It was happening every day. It was crazy. Exactly. And most importantly, since this, I, I don't think that I had any singular hand in this by any means, yeah. but since the time of this, I think that the conversation that got started, not not obviously, not just for me, but that the conversation that this contributed to, I think really worked in the end. The GCC yeah. eventually implemented better systems and we, we've you know seen that violence go a bit back down. So yeah. it, it's, you know, it's not, it's not a perfect one to the other, but it's, uh, it's better than it was. Yeah. And those look real. <laughs> they look really well. Putting those graphic design skills to use, I guess. Yeah, no doubt. I'm surprised that TDC didn't want to hire you. <laughs> That'll be fun. That'll be a fun one together. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Kind of like, kind of, kind of like the hacker going to work for like the NSA or something. You know. Yeah. 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 You, so I guess, you, I guess you still have these still frames. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, this was this was taken before I put them up. Mm. Um, so you only made. Uh, yeah, I only made two. That was all it needed. I wasn't confident enough 
that we could get the entire station postered before wow. someone caught us. So yeah. our goal was to put two in the most high traffic area, sort of giving the implication that there were more around the space as well. So yeah, we got we got two right at the wow. uh, the southbound entrance. There's on on the young platform. Yeah. Uh, right where the escalators come down if you're coming north back up. So we put it up in the morning with the idea that in the afternoon, everyone coming home from their, their commute was going to see it there. Oh, I know gosh. that they made it to about five o'clock before being taken down. I, I figure they got taken down some point around when BlogTO reached out to the TTC for comment. Uh, that They probably sent someone to go check this thing out around that time. Oh. So yeah, yeah. I remember hearing from a friend that they were still there around five. So we'll, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Really well done, though. On that, I mean, thanks. Thanks. So that's it takes a little bit of courage to do that too. It takes a little bit of courage because you never know, like how 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 like how people like will like respond to that, right? Yeah, of course. You know, hope for the best on that one. And fortunately, yeah. the message was really received the way I intended it to be. Yeah. I think all the comments I saw anywhere on various social medias about that was all was all very the, the message was understood in the way I intended it to yeah. be, which is exactly what I could have hoped to ask for. Absolutely, man. Well done on that. I mean, like this is Aiden. This is yeah. So, Aiden, do you have any photos that you want to point to that meet something sure. you'll be really proud of? Or if anything, I might have you click through to my website. The link in the bio yeah, there yeah. has has my actual portfolio with work. Yes, There's yeah. a handful on my Instagram that are also in the portfolio, but the uh, the website's really where I keep like my my work work. I'm just taking a second there. Oh, that's cool. Oh, I, I'm not. I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing it show up on the. Uh, the live stream count may have opened in a different window, yeah. but uh, oh yeah. So my portfolio loads in a random order every time. I don't know what's going to come next. Oh, really? I, have, I usually limit it to 50 images, but I got so obsessive over the order I was presenting them in that I decided to give up that control. Oh, really? just have, uh, there's a little bit of a slider here. You get to see each image on black and white. And most oh, of these are analog. If you hover over them, it will tell you what, um, what each was taken with, but, or yeah, if not, what it was cool. taken with, it will tell you some information about the shoot, about the artist. So cool. yeah, like these are a handful of my favorite images. The one you've got on the right over there is, uh, Amon Carpenter. He's a local musician that I was really fortunate to be able to do his album artwork for. This image is without the uh, graphic design over the piece. So there's some uh, awkward areas of negative space that were used for some of the, uh, the graphic design in there. There's somewhere else on my website, I've got the, uh, the finals of that, but. But, uh, so that was one particular favorite shoot of the last couple of years. We the, the projects. Yeah. So the portfolio is where I just have my best of all time. The projects I haven't updated in this a while. This in a while. I'll have to add New York to your update a couple of times. Yeah. A few favorite series, uh, whether it's a project I worked on for a particular client or whether it was just a set of images I thought works well in a in a particular feed. Oh. Oh yeah, I've got some of my expand stuff in. Uh, in that in that post at the bottom there that's cool that's a cool that was a man it's like they're like movie stills yeah exactly oh absolutely that was i love cinematics as a as a concept just to have i don't do much cinema work so i'm never really getting to do the actual cinematography but i love stills that give the implication like movie stills this one up top is just uh, is just a sort of an opener for the thing. I've got I've got a few more. If you scroll down, that uh, have a bit more of that cinematic quality to them. Hopefully, yeah. at least that's what I was aiming for with these. Okay. It was fun to get out of the niche of just portraiture, or as you can see with some of these, to be able to integrate portraiture into a, a more cinematic quality. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's uh, I really enjoy that camera. Um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no doubt. Eh? It looks good, man. It looks good. Like it's thank you. Definitely got a mood, eh? Yeah, yeah. Mood to it. it. That's cool. I like that. That's nice. Thank you. 
How do you get your ideas, or do or they just or they just come to you? Sometimes I'll have a fully formed idea for a shoot in my head before I start. Yeah. Sometimes it will be really spur of the moment. It'll be something I see in the scene that gets me set something up. And pretty consistently, my favorite shots, especially because you know I'm working with film, I'm getting my stuff back a little bit later. Right. My favorite shots are the ones I don't remember taking, or the yeah. ones that 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 were quick yeah. little insert shots between different things so often turn into my favorite final images uh, like if you go back to that project tab there i can give you an example of a shoot that was like fully planned out i think it's just a on oh yeah little project there it is at the top if you scroll down to that one that amon carpenter shoot that i was mentioning from the uh, from the front end portfolio it might be a little ways oh you know it'll be it'll be in that project tab but uh yeah so that that one there that inside of that project you can see uh, if you scroll mm -hmm. down a little bit this was a completely planned out shoot. I had fully sketched the entire final image ahead of time. Okay. Um, here I have a little uh, illustration of cool. you know, some behind the scenes work. This one in particular, I put together to, to be able to show future future album art clients exactly what I do with them in a studio space and future clients in general. You can, you can literally see it right there. Yeah. Um, but That's yeah, if, thank you, thank you. If you scroll a little further here, you can see sort of exactly how everything was sort of wrapped out and planned to come together for the various shots. And yeah, so th this one was, and I do, it's interesting. I have a shot that looked identical to that sketch uh, that ended up not being the one we went with. We went with a slightly different angle, but yeah, yeah. So you, you can never really plan what you're going to use in the end, but this was an example of a shoot that was really rigidly planned out from beginning to end. Interesting. And Interesting. I'm, I'm happy with the images from that, but. Honestly, yeah. most of the time, I'm the happiest with the images that are really spur of the moment. You've got your camera around your neck, you turn, you catch something, you snap it, and yeah. you get that develop later. You forget about it, you get a develop later, and that's your favorite yeah. shot. Yeah, and there's, a, and there's a nice surprise for you. Exactly, exactly. And this is the final? Um, There's five finals here as you scroll. Five finals, eh? They were used for different singles within the project. And also, uh, there's two albums that were being released, so this was, this was one of them. Music, yeah. What kind of music does he do? Um, this was this was sort of like alternative indie. He shifted into being doing a bit more acoustic stuff over the last little bit, but it, it was also a lot of fun because it's right up my alley of of music, right? So I'm mm -hmm. I'm very much my uh, sort of alt rock indie person. If you couldn't yeah, get that by yeah. looking at me, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, again, yeah, I mean, you could tell from. I wonder how 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 many people go through this level of planning though. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, so I can't speak to what others regularly do. Though so it, it is, it's nice to have a clear, concise plan laid out for you. Again, half the time I get this level of detail in my head before I start a shoot. Half the time I don't, and I go in with a reasonable degree of confidence that I can get what I'm looking for, right. but with an open mind to particular compositions and images. Yeah, I guess it also depends on like the vibe with the with the client too, right? Because if there's a oh, good absolutely. vibe, there's a bad vibe. It's like like whatever the vibe is, you can kind of get a, get get ideas off there too. Exactly, exactly. It, it, that's just part of the um part of the process. Yeah, it's like all about the it's all about the energy between the people and yeah. seeing what and what can be made. Exactly, but like I was talking about, that's the connection component. That's really my favorite part of it. So yeah, um, yeah. as yeah. I think I like portraits because I like people. I like I like connecting with people. I like talking with them. I love this time lapse that you did. <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks. That's yeah, just set, set up my phone. Unfortunately, that pillar was right in the middle of most of the action, yeah. but it, it gives a decent illustration of the shoot yeah, from start cool. to finish. Cool. So yeah, I'll put I'll put uh, Aiden's link in the description. You guys can go check it out. Uh, 
and have a, and have a look see and uh, yeah man it's good you got uh, you got your hand in all kinds of things which is nice right kind of keep kind of keep things fun and fresh and it's not, it's not the same thing every every day exactly keep them busy <laughs> keep them busy as always yeah man we're kind of up, up against the hour so thanks again for doing this i love no yeah, thank you so much for having me paul i'd love to have you back on at some point and see what you're up to and uh, maybe you could show some photos from new york too which would be cool sounds good sounds good i look forward to it yeah, you must be so pumped to see your photos from New York. Eh? Exactly, exactly. It was it's it's always an amazing thing getting scans back, starting to see those images for the first time. But especially for something like this, I think I was saying before the uh, before the show, I ran uh, seventeen rolls through the Rolly Slack in five days. So there that was uh, that was, was a that fun a project. For you? Uh, yes, yes, that was. I had a previous record that was a um, a client photo shoot where it was requested to be all on film. I think I shot ten rolls in two hours. So if you're talking about rolls per hour. Yeah, sure, rolls. but rolls per project. This is this is definitely the the highest. Oh man, favorite favorite part of New York for you, personally? Ooh, favorite geographically or favorite yeah. functionally? Geographically. Okay, geographically, I really enjoyed Lower Manhattan. Yeah. Um, getting to walk around all the different neighborhoods around there. Favorite part functionally, two things: subway system. Everyone's going to answer that. I love the Toronto subway system as much as I can. That New York subway system is something different. You plug in anywhere you're going to go. Point A to point B is always two minutes to the nearest station, and one train magically gets you exactly where you need to go. Maybe I just got lucky, but dream is it? Yeah. The other one is very good pizza everywhere for cheap or cheap-ish, whatever cheap is these days. Cheap pizza? <laughs> cheap pizza that's good. Oh, exactly. My, I think my favorite pizza I had. I I I had bought like I I had bought like. $30 pizza pies as a part of it as, you know, you know, part of the trip. I think my favorite pizza was 325 from a bodega deli across from B&H. Oh, man. Did you go in B&H? Oh, oh, of course. Of course. You got to. You, you got you to gotta make the pilgrimage out to the, out to the yeah. center of everything. Mostly film. I only brought 10 rolls with me. I needed a little bit more. And film is actually cheaper on the whole. It's yeah. even with some of the local discounts you can get around Toronto when you're not paying the US to Canada Kodak import tax and you're just buying it in the country and with, you know, lower local yeah. local sales tax. It was uh it was quite decent getting uh, you know, getting a pack of Portra for sixty US instead of for hundred and twenty five Oh, okay. That's good. So anyway, it's another reason to go to go to New York. Yeah, yeah. So a, a lot of reasons, a lot of fun times, a lot of images. Yeah. But yeah, no, another fun one film slightly cheaper. <laughs> Cool, man. Welcome back. Any final words, advice, thoughts for for the audience that you want to share? Yeah, I I suppose if there's anything I could I could sum up from all the questions and you asked me all the answers I could give. At least my experience has been the best photography comes from connection with people. Mm. At least the best photography of people. Maybe it's a little harder for yeah. a landscape to to connect with a landscape. I don't know, but the best portraits, the best photography comes from a genuine want for the a genuine connection with the people involved. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll try. I'll try that one again, so you get a clean audio bite of that. Which is my best advice I can give is the best portraits come from the best connections with people. Right. You're always going to get the best out of someone by being genuinely interested and involved with yeah. them. And I don't know. That's that's my favorite thing to do. It's a good point because, like we said earlier, like you want to be real with people, so like do it because you want to do it, and not do it for like the likes or like the so like the social validation of it, which I think a lot of people fall into. So depends on your angle with it, but if you're able to be real with people, I think you got a lot more like out like out of the actual experience versus just like a random like on Instagram, right? So you know. exactly, exactly, and that stuff is great. It's it's great to have those feelings of validation. Yeah, I, we all want to have those real connections, you know? Yeah, of course. Well, I think it's a little bit more meaty. 
meaningful in like the long run because that's what you'll remember from your time in New York having those converse, conversations with people and absolutely exactly and those, and those and those and those are the memories that and that you'll have right which which is priceless in in in, in my opinion so no absolutely you've got it cool yeah well thanks Samia. thanks for taking the time really appreciate it really fascinating conversation absolutely like thanks back on, man. yeah thanks so much for having me uh I would look forward to that awesome thanks everyone for watching listening go check out Aiden in the links below and uh, if you're in the Toronto area go check him out at uh Aiden's store at the camera store. We'll see you next time. Have a great evening.